37 um, in order to look specifically at family issues and Joseph's family and what that might tell us about our own families. So other than Jesus, all of the people we see through the Bible are imperfect and flawed. They all battle with their own temptations and brokenness. But by his grace, God is able to use them to accomplish his will. It shouldn't surprise us then that when we see families in the Bible, they're pretty messy and dysfunctional too. We're living in a fallen world after all. I actually take quite a lot of comfort in this because the families that Ollie and I came from and the family that we're growing are all pretty imperfect. Joseph's family is no exception and we see all sorts of sin, family division, jealousy, pride, tactlessness, bitterness, a complete inability to speak to one another kindly. I could go on. We might expect a very different family. After all, Jacob has inherited God's covenant from his father Isaac and from his father Abraham before him. This is the family through which all nations will be blessed. But they're a mess. As always, though, God has a plan. So we're going to be reading from Genesis 37. But before we do, I think it's helpful to take a quick look at how this family got to where they are. Jacob, Joseph's dad, had his own family issues. He and his twin brother Esau were already fighting before they had even left the womb. Then there was parental favouritism, with Isaac showing favour to Esau, whereas Rebecca showed favour to Jacob. And mother and son conspired to trick the older brother out of his inheritance. This divided family were unable to break their sinful patterns, and unfortunately, as is so often the case, this got passed on to the next generation. So fast forward to Jacob's children, and we see 12 brothers and a sister born by four different mothers and some very complex family dynamics. Jacob, seemingly forgetting the issues caused by his own dad's favouritism, is seen to show huge favour to Joseph, his 11th son, but the first child born from Rachel, the woman that Jacob had loved for so very long. You see, the older brothers knew that Joseph was special to Jacob, as we saw last week they would have known that their mothers were not really loved by Jacob. Now, I'm sure we can imagine how that must have felt and the damage that it did to the relationships in the family. And to make matters worse, there was that coat, that colourful coat, which would have been a, an all-too-painful visual reminder of where they stood in the family pecking order. But while all this mess and dysfunction was handed down by the patriarchs, God handed down through him, through them his covenant, his promise to bless all nations through this family. So, with the backdrop of this broken family, Jacob makes the decision to send Joseph off to check on his brothers as they tend to Jacob's flock. So, let's pick up the story and read in Genesis 37, verses 18 to 28. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we can say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, 
he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, and throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they, were st they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colours that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Look at the evil and brokenness this passage highlights. Joseph has not even got to his brothers yet, but they see him in that coat with its long sleeves, not made for work. Joseph clearly hadn't come to help them, and the resentment sets in. We can probably understand and relate to these feelings. They're out doing difficult agricultural work, and here comes their brother to check up on them, and possibly report back to Dad, like he's done before. Dressed up in his fancy coat, which is a reminder that their father sets him apart. I'm sure we've all experienced feelings of injustice and unfairness in our own families. But these brothers don't just feel resentful. They start conspiring to kill him. And look at the words they use in verse 19. They're very telling. Here comes the dreamer. They don't say, here comes that spoiled brat, or here comes our arrogant brother. They call him the dreamer. It's not just his personality they despise. They hate that their father has set him apart by his favouritism. And they hate that he has been set apart in his dreams, his prophetic dreams from God. They plan to kill him, throw him in a pit, and then lie about it. Just allow that wickedness to settle with us. They see him as utterly disposable. There's a real sense of disgust as they talk about him and mock his dreams, saying, we'll see what becomes of his dreams. They're trying to take control to ensure that Joseph's dreams, God's plans, never become a reality. Reuben redeems the situation somewhat by suggesting that they just throw him in the pit and leave him with a secret plan to get him out later, but that's not enough. This whole plan is put together just at the sight of Joseph coming towards them. Their hearts towards him are truly hearts of stone. Yeah, and that picture of Joseph coming across the fields towards his brothers and their hearts just being so cold towards him that they would consider murdering him kind of really hit me and it made me think about some beliefs that I used to hold before I became a Christian um, namely a belief which is a very popular belief in our culture right now that if I could control my thoughts then I could control the way that I behaved and there's a widely shared quote that you might have seen going around and sometimes it's attributed to Margaret Thatcher apparently and sometimes it's attributed to Gandhi but 
apparently it doesn't originate from either of them actually, um, but it says, watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. The Bible though, teaches something very different. Jesus himself in Matthew 9 verse 4 asks, why do you think evil in your hearts? And then in Mark 7 verse 21, Jesus says, for from within, out of the hearts of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, and he goes on. The world would have us believe that we can control our thoughts and ultimately our destiny. The Bible tells us that before any thoughts enter our head, it is in our heart. It also tells us that the human heart is broken and can only be made right by submitting it to God. The brothers, with their hearts a long way from God, are unable to muster anything but hatred towards Joseph. And they seem to believe that they can control his destiny and their own. So let's not think that we can be truly loving towards our families by simply controlling what we say. Although, don't get me wrong, watching what we say is really important. But um, when my thoughts and my words towards my family are not the best, shall we say, that can be a sign to me that I need to turn my heart to God. And this is a time when I am perhaps needing to do that more than usual under the current strains. <laughs> so when Joseph arrives, they strip him of his coat. This sign of his father's love, the blessing his father has given him, and throw him in a pit that is completely empty. They believe they can take their father's blessing from Joseph. And they believe they can destroy the blessings indicated by his dreams and ensure that those never become a reality. If only they knew God's plan, that those dreams and their brother were their route to salvation. The coat that Jacob had given Joseph blessed only Joseph. But the dreams given by God spoke of a time when God would use Joseph to save and bless his whole family and the entire nation of Israel, a blessing that would one day be available to the whole world. They cannot see the big picture or God's wider purposes. Now, when the Ishmaelites are spotted passing by, the brothers are sat eating a meal together while their brother is nearby in a pit. It's a, an awful picture of family division. Joseph is quite literally cast out here. And then Judah spots an opportunity. Now, I'd often thought of Judah as being a bit kinder than the others here. Let's not kill him, let's sell him instead. But actually, he is showing deep depravity. He's saying, what good is it to us if we just kill him or let him die? We don't get any benefit from that. We might as well make a bit of money out of it. His own brother is a commodity that he would betray for money. The last line of this chapter really stands out to me, though, um, when it says they took Joseph to Egypt. Despite 
the mess, the brokenness and the depravity of this family, God's purposes prevail. Little do the brothers or Joseph know that Egypt is exactly where God's prophetic dreams to Joseph will be realised. What they have intended for harm and destruction to Joseph, God will use in his perfect plan to bless and save this family and all the nations through them. Joseph's story shows us that our messy, flawed families and backgrounds do not disqualify us from being blessed and used by God. A great deal happens to Joseph after he is sold by his brothers and this will be covered over the coming weeks but it's clear that despite the brokenness from which he comes, God never leaves Joseph but blesses everything he does for God. There is a grace over Joseph as he lives through God's purposes for him. As followers of Christ, whatever family situation we find ourselves in or have come from, God can use us for his purposes too. And I've no doubt that he wants to use many of us during this time of lockdown. Some of us are at home with spouses or families who do not know Christ Know that God is with you. Know that you hold the promises of God through your faith in Jesus Christ. Never underestimate the impact of living an open life of faith before those who do not believe. We can see this in chapter 41, uh, where Pharaoh has his dreams interpreted by Joseph. And Joseph has made it clear that it is God and not him who interprets the dreams. And in verse 38, uh, we hear Pharaoh say to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Pharaoh learned something about God by meeting Joseph and your families and loved ones can learn something about Jesus through their interactions with you. See, God reconciles and restores Joseph's family to ensure that his covenant is protected and to bless not only this family, but all nations through them. We sit as beneficiaries of that. The way that God restores this family tells us something really important about our relationship with God. The brothers are brought to their knees, convicted by their wickedness all those years before. Those hearts that were so broken, that when they saw Joseph coming to them all those years before, they hatched a plan to kill him are now transformed and brought to repentance. And we see this most clearly in the person of Judah, who's transformed from a man willing to sell his brother as a slave in chapter 37, verse 26, to a man who puts himself last and offers himself as a slave in place of his brother in order to save his father from destruction. It's chapter 44, verse 33. We have been restored to a right relationship with God, by our faith in Jesus Christ. And we have been given hearts transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us be willing to put ourselves last at this time. If we're living in close proximity with our families at the moment, it can feel like there's never enough space. Never enough quiet time. Or noisy time. <laughs> <laughs> but through Christ, we have hearts capable of prioritising the needs of those around us, rather than desperately trying to preserve for ourselves. Christ gave himself for us. 
Judah offered himself for his brother and we can put others before ourselves in our homes and our relationships. Finally, when we repent and turn to Christ, the Bible tells us that we become children of God, that we are adopted by him. We inherit his promises and this is available to all mankind through faith in Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 12 tells us, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you're not a Christian, then the good news is that no matter who you are, what background or brokenness you might come from, you can become a member of God's family today. He will call you his child. If you will call Jesus your Lord. What a father he is and what an inheritance to look forward to.